0: Okay, cool. So, so tell me, tell me in your in your anonymous way, kind of how I, this is something that a lot of people talk about. I've been collecting some of these stories the past couple weeks too. You know, we had a we had a guy quit, and then suddenly, you know, we had to go take him to court to enforce a non-compete because he stole all of his routes and for his own business and things like that. How did? Tell me your tell me your story. Tell me what you dealt with when talking with contractors about former employees taking clients with them when they leave
1: yeah sure I mean I think that it's a very it's a very prevalent thing and i I've got lots of stories about that, so I can kind of weave a lot of those different stories into this conversation because unfortunately it happens it happens more often than not you know and it's really unfortunate to to especially when you're when you're growing your business i mean I think that that um, larger contractors are definitely faced with this issue, and maybe the sting isn't nearly as much, but when you're growing your business and you bring on you know, maybe that first trusted manager or that first trusted person who has a lot of client interaction, and then they get the bug, kind of feeling like the and I do air quotes right now, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. They want to go out and be in business on their own. I think mm-hmm. it's a huge challenge because they've developed that relationship with clients, and sometimes those clients create more of an affinity towards a person than a company. And I think that is the thing that I really want to talk about is that as business owners we need to create a company where even though our clients develop relationships with our employees or managers or account managers or whatever it is there's so many amazing things that your company does that they can't afford to leave the company and Mm -hmm. I I would just challenge and I know that that's a spin probably you had no idea that I was going to take this conversation that way but I really do believe when we lose clients because an employee leaves our company that almost might be the company's fault and not the employees' fault. Granted, there are certainly people out there that lack integrity and they, you know, they're they're conniving to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, like I like the most recent example that I can think of is is a, you know, there was a, a company that I work with that, that we actually terminated a salesperson for non performance. Sat there and we really looked at the numbers. I mean, this is an interesting kind of thought process. When you think about what a salesperson makes in salary, whether that's hourly or salary, plus any mm-hmm. commissions or bonuses that are earned. When uh, and you, Chuck, you've heard me say this quite often, that a company needs to know their numbers. They need to know their cost of goods sold percentage, otherwise known as you know their gross profit margin percentage. If a salesperson sells a hundred thousand dollars in business in a year, a company owner might go, "Wow, that's awesome, hundred thousand dollars." But if they were paid fifty thousand dollars for that, let's say it's thirty-five thousand dollars in salary. Five thousand dollars in commissions, and then ten thousand dollars in health insurance, and vehicle allowances, and you know other benefits. But it's a fifty thousand dollars package. They sell a hundred thousand, then basically the company is paying for that salesperson to be there in the business. Right. So, um, so this particular salesperson was terminated for non-performance because actually it was costing the company money every single year to have this person on their payroll, although their sales were noble. They, they had they had hit a decent sales amount. When you really plugged it into that formula, they were not making the company any money, and so we chose to terminate. That employee then had gone after actually a large amount of clients. The majority of clients said no. They were very loyal to um, my client to the company because mm-hmm. they knew what the what the company offered and um, the company you know provides a great service and product and you know to its clients. And I think they picked off like one or two clients at the end of the day. The business owner was irate about those one or two clients. I mean, just absolutely irate and wanted to go down the road that you had just said, like maybe suing because we did have a non-compete enforce, although the non-competes anymore today are very, very difficult to enforce and very, very costly to enforce, and most states won't even recognize them anymore. It's a very, very tricky tricky thing. Just It's a bigger conversation about the legality of a non-compete. And, I, and my my comment to my client was do we really care about losing those two clients because i really believe in the philosophy that i want to do business with people that want to do business with us and if those two one or two clients that amounted to a very small amount of revenue in the whole scheme of things i mean like nothing in the whole you know whole scheme of this larger business Right. i said you know i, I really didn't care that they left the company. I mean the business owner, it was more of a principal element where they were really, really upset that they had lost these two clients to this Mm -hmm. salesperson that had been terminated and wanted to enforce that. And my point was those clients didn't want to do business with us. So why would we want them? They're either not going to pay their bill, they're going to complain about things, they're going to be difficult to manage, whatever it might be. And so at the end of the day, we chose to just let them go. But what we did do, which was very, very powerful, was we wrote a kindly written, yet assertive letter, figure that one out, to the employee basically reminding them that we were aware that they were talking to our clients and that we are prepared to enforce the documents that they had previously signed as well as to remind them that it's an integrity issue. Mm -hmm. um, And we really played on the element of you know, this is the wrong thing from an integrity standpoint, um, almost like, it wasn't a guilt trip, but it was almost like a reminder of, hey, you know what, you, 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 your, your character is very, very important, and if you want to go after our clients, that's fine, but your character is in jeopardy. It might become a legal issue. Oh, and by the way, there's a lot of clients out there. The fee is really, really big, and you don't need to go after the clients that we have, and if you do, there might be repercussions to that. That actually stopped the action on, the, on behalf of that employee. We have occasionally had some, you know, some clients say that this person had contacted them, but it, but we only lost, I think, in the whole scheme of things, one or two clients out of hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. So it was not that big of a of a of a magnitude, and the dollar figure um, on an annual basis for those two clients was, was so small. I mean, you know, it was, it was less than you know one percent or something of total sales. So. You know, but the thing that I that I went back to in that exact instance is what I said a couple of minutes ago was that I think the reason that we didn't lose more is because we have an amazing company. You know, the, the company that I work with is amazing. They communicate very well with their clients. They have a great company culture. They um, invest in client relationships that are, inside the account manager and inside the salesperson but also outside the salesperson so you know the people actually doing the work as well as the owners of the business as well as the office manager as well as the accounting people you know they really 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 do develop deep and wide relationships with their clients and they do a great job consistently communicating to clients what their value proposition was so those clients feel like they can't leave that company or they're going to lose something that's the most important thing, and that's one of the best ways that businesses can protect employees pilfering their clients away. Is to create an environment where clients feel that they can't get that level of service or those products anywhere else but through that company, and not necessarily through a single individual person.
0: Hmm. Talk about like what, when you say they invested, the company invested in its employees, and, and from the account manager, salesperson to the folk, the production folks. Uh, tell me. What those things were, or some of those things were
1: you, you mean how how they how they canvassed the fact that that their client had interaction with a lot of different people is, is that what you mean
0: yeah well you, you said the the company invested in its people so that you know that they were all um, they all were kind of part of the process and they were all kind of together in this and and that showed the clients that they took care of their people and that sort of thing. Tell me like what that meant tangibly concrete wise.
1: Yeah, so so I mean it was everything from so let's say that a that a new client came on with with install. So they were they were sold by a person and there might have been a designer that was involved in that as well. So then there's two people. Then they were introduced to the installation manager, to the person who was going to be responsible for managing the installation of the project. Then once the project started, they met the crews that actually did the install. So now their swap has gone to five or six different people in the organization. Then at the end of the installation project, the maintenance manager was there at the walkthrough. Sometimes if it's a large enough project, the owner would be at the walkthrough as well. So now you've expanded it to that client being introduced to eight different people. Then if they sign a maintenance contract, which in this particular company the majority of the installation clients, in fact not if not the majority of you know, almost all of them, sign a maintenance contract, then they get to meet their crew who's going to take care of their, their property on a regular basis. Then then they're introduced to people in the office relative to their billing. So you've now expanded where where a lot of companies have this myopic view or at the salesperson that's the only it's one point of contact. So by the way, I agree with that. But what this mm-hmm. company has successfully done is they've created this almost family attitude that everybody works together. And they've done that by adequate introductions at the proper time at the beginning of the client relationship. Then that's continued by having um, regular newsletters go out via email that have a huge open rate. I mean, this company has one of the highest email newsletter open rates that I'm aware of, and click-throughs and forwards. Um, and so they, they are consistently and constantly telling the story of who they are in that digital medium once a month. It goes out once a month like clockwork to their mm-hmm. clients um, so it does create this family feel that's also reinforced on the website that's also reinforced on any print that happens it's also reinforced when any client calls into the office so it's not always this this the one person who initially sold the client or that's doing the work or that you know answering the phone is developing the relationship with the client it's a it's a team approach where almost all of the employees with some exceptions create a relationship and an awareness of the clients so that there's not one particular person that has that relationship. That's going to protect against someone with a mass exodus of clients out the door. They didn't do it knowingly. They did it because they thought that was the right thing to build a company around, and it was mm-hmm. the right thing to build a company around. But when there's been changes in staff, there's been no mass exodus of any clients, even though there's been threats of mass exodus of clients.
0: Yeah. Like, I'm going to take these people with me. You can't. I'm leaving, and I'm going to take all this business with me. And that, that kind of threat?
1: Well, well, yeah, exactly. Because when that particular salesperson and designer was terminated for non-performance, that was exactly what was said in the termination. Great, we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see how great you are. I've got mm-hmm. relationships. I've got so many projects in the hopper. You know, I mean, it was a threat. It was, a, it was an idle threat. Sure. It, was a, it was an anger-filled threat, in my opinion. Um, and and I, was, I was there in that termination, so I, was, you know, I heard it firsthand, and I wasn't the least bit concerned. Even though the company was concerned, I go, listen, we have nothing to worry about, and if we lose anybody, we're losing them for the right reason. We don't want to do business with somebody who doesn't want to do business with us.
0: Right, right. Uh, you, 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 make a, you make a lot of good points there. I think you know, if, if, a sale, if, say, a salesperson does leave and takes a handful of clients with them, who, probably a good chance that those clients would have left anyway.
1: It doesn't sound like they needed a lot of reason to leave. Um, Agreed. Agreed. And their allegiance, again, was to one person and not to mm-hmm. a company. They didn't see the value. They didn't see the value of what a company, you know, in its entirety gives to the client, whether it be the proper insurance or certifications or licenses. I know this particular company is in a part of the country that you need a you need a business license in almost almost every single street in the entire state it seems like
0: to be able to do business <laughs> you know
1: it's very possible sure. very possibly to be in business just simply because of the fact that licensing in this particular state is you know is, is something that is very important and is is recommended if not required you know and and Obviously, you know having the proper workers' comp insurance and uh, the umbrella insurance and all the things necessary to be in business today, having the right corporate structure and renewing all of the you know all that information on a regular basis, clients did not see the value of that clients didn't see the value of a larger company being able to you know purchase better and be able mm-hmm. to provide more unique plant materials and more unique materials and in installs and in maintenance um, and the ability to have you know a, clean and newer, updated and well maintained equipment and all of those different things. They didn't see the value in that. But that's mm-hmm. the value of working with a company that has developed themselves over the years. Whether you're small or not, I mean I know of companies that do two or three hundred thousand dollars a year that have all those criteria that I just mentioned. I also know companies that do two or three million dollars a year that have all those criteria. So it's mm-hmm. it's you know, it's super important and, and I'm I'm at this point where I work with business owners enough, Chuck, where I I really do kind of plead the case of we really want to work with people that want to work with us, both on the employee side as well as on the client side. Well, some sure. contractors will come back and say to me, but Jason, clients are tough to find right now. And my response to that is, yes, I understand. I- I've heard that for a long time. But we need to course correct who you are, the way you're telling the story, who you're telling the story to, because I know of some contractors that hear, you know, we're recording this at, at you know, and when, when landscapers are very, very, very busy right now because it's in the springtime in most parts of the country. I know of some contractors that, that, as you know, because I've told you this before, are already booked up for the entire season, and it's it's Mm -hmm. not even May 1st. You know, Mm -hmm. because they've created such a demanding culture for their services that clients get in line be able to do business with them. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying I understand that there are certain you know criteria that that go around relative to contractors that maybe just maybe you know they're, it's not it's not as simple. The the work isn't hanging on trees. But for most people, if you tell the story, tell the story the right way, tell the story to the right people of who you are, that's exactly the way it's going to be. So I just say, you know what, when you have an exodus of one client my experience is, is that another one's going to come right back in and replace that revenue, if not more. And for the great mm-hmm. companies that are out there running awesome businesses, that's exactly what I've seen.
0: I think the interesting idea that you're talking about with this company is a concept that I think a lot of people realize when when selling, and it's that if if I'm selling landscape services to a commercial client and, and, and I work with a property manager, I'm the account rep and he's the property manager, you know, I don't want to have just a relationship with that property manager because what if he leaves, right? So you want to sure. develop those relationships above him and below him on the, on the scale. And I think most folks kind of understand the value in that because people shift jobs, people shift roles, and you want to you know, know as much as you can about the folks you're working with. But I think what's really interesting is that by, by flipping that and saying you're not going to have just one point of contact with our landscape company, the account manager, or the designer, or whoever that is, Although that's much easier to manage, and I think from from like a rational logical perspective, it's like, okay, yeah, you have one point of contact with the company and that's easier for the customer, sure. it's easier for us. But it does say, you know, here's here's our team, you know, here this is this is really who you're hiring. All these people. You know. You're not just hiring Steve the rep who can probably take good care of you and can get you what you need and, and service the account and, and do all that stuff, but you're hiring everybody from the guys on the mowers and running the skid steers up to the owner who are all invested in this job. You know, they, even though they may not touch it day to day, they all are working on it.
1: Sure. And, and and I can tell you that we, you know, when I was running my landscape company, we absolutely did that and, and, and we we would we actually published in every proposal that we put out there, as well as on our website and in, you know, kind of all digital areas, what we what we called our difference. And it was a list of distinguishing things that were different about different about us um, than what we thought to our competitors. And, uh, and it was a, it was a full page, you know, literally an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. And by the way, anybody that's listening, you know, I don't know, check if there's a way to put a link or something. If they want to email me, I'm I'm happy to to send that to them. Send them our difference. We've we've sent it out to you know literally hundreds upon hundreds of contractors around the country that have been in educational sessions that I've done because I think that it's an interesting. Thing for, for business owners to tell the story about the way that they're different, if they're certified, if they um, if they have certain education, if they you know have certain benchmarks that they that they have done, you know, like for example, we had you know landscape architects that worked for us, and they were ICPi certified, and they were um, you know Planet now the um, now NALP certified. Um, I don't know what mm-hmm. the new certification is called, but I mean, we had all of these things. We were licensed. We had a two million dollar umbrella insurance policy, we had a a landscape design center where clients could literally come to our office and walk through different elements of their landscape. All those things were were differentiating from our competitors, or some of them were. And the thing is, is that if ABC landscape designer left my company, then wherever they were going, they weren't going to get those same levels of criteria, that same level of, of impact, yeah, we might lose a client here or there because they develop an intimate relationship with the designer um, or with an account manager. But the truth is, sure. we go back to we wouldn't, you know, we don't want those clients. You don't want to do business with us. But we thought that that we built a business that was really based on those core values and those core principles. The other thing that we did in that same vein was to introduce um, at least, you know, electronically via a contract that hey, here's our team. Here's Here's who the owner is. Here's who the office people are with their photo. You know, I mean, really did a good job of saying we're much bigger than that one person that you're having interaction with. And mm-hmm. so, if you want to leave us, you're going to lose all of these um, consummate professionals who are certified, who are focused on the green industry, who are focused on delivering you amazing service and amazing product. It works. Mm-hmm. I
0: think the what's really interesting about the way that that you and this client you're talking about kind of approach this this problem is it puts the action on the owner. You're, kind of, you're accepting that people people are going to quit and they may take clients with them. There's nothing right. you can really do nothing you can do about that. But sure. you can work to build those relationships across the company that ensure that the folks the clients that you do have have many more reasons to stay than just their relationship with Steve the account manager. You know, and that's something an owner, any landscape owner can, can focus on. Can talk about in his proposals and can put in his materials and can put on his website and and i you know I've noticed a lot of contractors doing more of that you know you see a lot more about us pages that talk about the history of the company and they talk about the team that's involved and you know who this company really is, not just it goes beyond just here's pretty pictures of our work you know, here's the quality that you're going to get, but again, and we we go back sure. to this all the time it's really the people who work for you that're really going to differentiate your company because. The weather's about the same. The equipment's about the same. In the client side, the services are just about the same.
1: What am I getting from you that I can't get from the other guy? And sure, I, I completely agree. And so, so, that's one. You know, so one. The, the the first way that I say you you combat this problem is almost like counterintuitive. You combat it by building up a great company where clients don't want to leave you, and you're, and the definition isn't in one person. But then there are those companies that unfortunately maybe they don't have that, or they're building it up. They're a very charismatic right. salesperson or a designer. And they do take a, a large amount of people. And i got to tell you, Chuck, and I, I, maybe I'll regret saying this, fear is an amazing negotiation tool. Go on. Fear, fear is an amazing negotiation tool. And, if, um, and I, I have employed tactics before where an attorney writes a letter to a former employee And and basically threatens a lawsuit. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe and of of course before a business owner threatens a lawsuit, they have to be willing to file the lawsuit. You know, I mean, sure, they can't threaten it and have it be an idle threat. It has to be a real threat. But the fear of receiving a certified letter in the mail from an attorney at law that you know that says ABC Landscape, you know, R E, you know, case number, ABC Landscape versus former employee's name. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. outlines the legality, puts the state statutes in there, puts the local statutes in there of why what they've done is wrong or immoral or illegal, talks about what the consequences are, if they are caught, talks about the cost of, of litigation and, and all of that. I have actually had employees who, who have done this egregious act stop in their tracks that they are so afraid of legal proceedings when they can't afford to hire an attorney themselves and that itself has stopped the act. So fear is an amazing negotiation tool, um, <laughs> and and you know, and sometimes like you know, sometimes owners can say, "Oh, you know, well, I'll just call them up." No, mm-hmm. you can't call them up. You know, I mean, you, you know, you can you can play Mr. Nice Guy. That's another strategy as well. Hey, come on, you know. But at the end of the day, you're playing Mr. Nice Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I I remember a particular instance where um, I actually called somebody up myself um, on behalf of a client, um, although it was different. It wasn't an employee. It was a former business partner, a business partner who was bought out of a company um, and was violating you know, their agreements, um, mm-hmm. which, was, which was soft at best, I guess I should say. The agreement wasn't written the way that it should have been written. So I mm-hmm. literally just called this, I called this guy up and I just said, hey, you know what? What you're doing is wrong. There's a lot of clients in this area, and the fact that you're going back and you're violating this—I mean, you, this is this is just unethical. He did stop because I was, you know, to, to, it wasn't it wasn't his former business partner picking up the phone and calling him. It was me. He knew who I was because he mm-hmm. you know, read your magazine and read other industry, you know, uh, uh, he had been invented other industry events. And when he called, when I called him, he thought I was calling him, not in negative tone because he didn't know I was working with his former business partner. He just you know, thought so, you were calling so, a chat? Yeah, he thought I was just calling. He's like, oh, my God, Jason Kemp's calling me. And I go, well, I mean, literally, it was actually kind of funny because I felt bad for him because the, the tone changed immediately when I told him I was working for his former business partner. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, because he knew why I, was, why I was calling at that point. He, he knew mm-hmm. the reason why I was calling because he was clearly, you know, going against the grain of integrity. So I think that fear is an amazing negotiation tool, and I got to tell you, uh, most good attorneys will write that letter for a few hundred bucks, and so it's a sure. small investment of money and time for a great attorney to send that letter, you know, that, that, that has that has some legal threat to it, that, mm-hmm. that, that can be followed up with an actual lawsuit. And, um, and and that sometimes can get the employee to uh, to, to stop their their egregious and unethical actions. Mm-hmm. What if that doesn't work? Well, if it doesn't work, then you have to be willing to land the plane and, fly, and file the lawsuit. Or you know, some states you there there are ways that you can do it without filing a lawsuit, but, but most you have to file a lawsuit, and you have to and that becomes very costly. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you can you can also send. Um, yeah, you can send a cease and desist letter basically, you know, outlining. But I like the, the threat of a lawsuit. And some attorneys that I've worked with before will actually draft for another 100 bucks mm-hmm. because it's kind of a template to some degree for them. They will draft the petition and include the petition in the letter that they send to the employee saying if you don't respond that you're going to quit this action within 10 days of the day of this letter Here's the petition that I'm going to go file against you, and you're going to be served papers, and we're going to dig this out in court. That internet itself scares the employee even more because they're actually reading the legal documents, not just the letter from an attorney. the petition mm-hmm. is included in there as well. you know and, mm-hmm. and again, for an attorney that that doesn't specialize in this because I don't you know I don't really like working with attorneys who are ambulance chasers. In fact, I want to refer I don't like working with attorneys at all. I mean, just cause <laughs> when you when, when you get to that point, when you get to that right. point, you know, that there were so many other things that you could have done to stop that. That's the reason I don't like working with attorneys, because the sure. truth is, you know, but there's no way to test the integrity of an employee when you're hiring them or when they're working for you. Unfortunately, there's just no way to just know if that employee is going to turn sour and you know go the other direction on you. And so you have to be careful about those things for
0: sure. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I think you know one. The, the, the position of Law and Magazine is, you know, always, you know, you need every business owner needs some kind of legal advisor, whether that's a, a lawyer, an attorney, or, or whatever, someone to go to and say, you know, you're going to need this person eventually. Because I think, I think the, for most guys starting out, it's, you know, they get into the business because they like it, and then, you know, you got a problem employee, and you just kind of want to deal with it. You know, you, you work kind of on a handshake, and you kind of sort things out and work through things. But I think you always need in your back pocket that. Like, okay, this isn't working out, seriously, we're gonna, you know, gotta get the lawyers involved now. Because I don't think anybody ever wants to do that. But, like you're saying, it sometimes may be the most effective method for solving this problem. But, I think, too, like, to your point, you know, there is a lot of business out there. I think your point of saying, look, in this market, in almost every market, there's plenty of work if you're doing it right. So, why... Why do we have to piss and moan about this? Why do we have to fight about this?
1: There's some instances, you know, Chuck, where, you know, you can, I mean, I know this is even more even uh, even more unconventional. You can, you can actually sell some clients if some guys are leaving. You know, I mean, you can just kind of like call a spade a spade and say, I know you have some deep relationships with some clients. How sure. do you want to handle that? How do you want to communicate with those clients about your, you leaving the company? You know, mm-hmm. and if they hem-haw around, the conversation could turn towards them admitting that they want to continue to do work or they're going to go to work for a competitor and you can maybe come up with I mean I've never seen this happen before, but I could actually see myself or a you know a good business owner negotiating the proper departure of an employee with a small book of business or something where they could go out, you know, and they're paying you for it or something like that. Because you're calling a spade a spade. You're actually acknowledging that they're that the employee has close relationships with clients.
0: Sure. Yeah. It may never hurt to start that conversation, yeah, especially I mean, if they're leaving under good terms. I mean, if you're going to fire someone for non-performance, or in my head, picturing this scenario, it's not—I want to say—level heads may not always prevail.
1: Yeah, you bet. And I think that the other thing—I mean, I mean—probably one of the one of the bigger overarching elements, and you know, you definitely hear me kind of preach about this quite often. Or you know, if anybody who's listening has ever heard me you know, speak, I always talk about making sure that all your documents and your handbook and all your contracts are up to date and legal. Um, and by the way, if they haven't been reviewed in the last you know six months to a year, chances are they are not legal based on mm-hmm. federal um, federal employee standards that changed on on January first of this year and change quite often, and will change again once we have you know a, a change in in uh, in leadership on Capitol Hill, as tends to happen every, you know, every time there's an election. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, is that the strength of your defense from a legal standpoint and from the fear standpoint is only as good as the documents that you have. And those documents, which would be a signed handbook and a signed employee agreement and all those things that are important and, and they vary based on the state that you're in, um, all of those need to be held under lock and key. Um, I, I had a, an international client, actually, so not in the United States. That um, that in this particular country, uh, a, a non-compete and non-disclosure is very powerful to the employee. I uh, very powerful to the company, um, and um, that that document, which was signed, which was you know, which is somewhat required in this particular country, that document mysteriously disappeared from the employee's file. Um, a week before that employee was 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 uh, was leaving the company, and that was because it was not under lock and key. It was not in a separate HR file. It was in a general file with, you know, with vacation requests and you know different things that were non-confidential. For whatever reason, a business owner did not segregate the files and have them under lock and key where only one person had access to them. That's another really important thing. You can have an employee sign a non-compete, sign a handbook, sign an employee agreement, sign this agreement or that agreement or something that your lawyer draws up. You can be as legal as anything. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a copy of the agreement, it doesn't matter. And I've actually seen that happen. More than, than not, you know where where especially like on acquisition. So I represent clients sometimes in buying or selling companies, and sometimes with companies that I that I'm helping a client purchase, I want to see the employee agreements, um, and they claim that they're all signed. Then when we get to the due diligence phase, I actually you know only receive um, signed employee agreements or handbook agreements on 75% of the employees because they they either were never signed or mysteriously disappeared or misplaced or misfiled. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. If you ever have a problem with that employee, you need to go be able to pull the documents out of a secure file or have them scanned into a secure system, whereas that document is legal and will stand up in court, or stand up with the Department of Labor, or stand up with your local um, employment board. So all of those things are really important, and I know that it it like confuses business owners. At least that's the feedback that I get. Because the laws are constantly changing and the agreement structure is constantly changing. But if you're really concerned about this, if there's people listening to this they've had this happen to them, then they need to understand the laws and the standards that apply to them and their state and their community and their city, and they need to make sure that they adhere to them. And that means mm-hmm. having the proper documentation and having it secure.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, because you'd hate for for all this to happen and have to go through all this and then and and get upset and get, get get kind of far down the road and then say you've got an on compete and then I've got it here in my desk, wait a second, where to go? Then you're kind of back to square one and what do you got? Your word and, and, and some dust
1: in a drawer. Oh yeah, I I, I completely agree and I think that, um, and, I, and I guess I tell I tell business owners because they do get frustrated with the, with the changing regulations that you, know, you seem to have one trusted person, usually an owner or, or maybe, you know, sometimes it's a third party person. Um, you know, that just owns that process, that owns it and understands it. You know, attorneys will do that, and sometimes some accountants will do that. You know, somebody that you already have a relationship with in your business that can actually hold those files for you, and that can make sure that you're compliant. I've said it before, even on this radio show, that it's one of the number one questions that's asked of me is, you know, how do I, how do I become, you know, compliant? Because I'm I'm worried about you know the idea of HR and what it is, and so this kind of falls you know, definitely under the guise of of making sure that you've got all your ducks in a row. Um, And, and of course, you know, Chuck, we wish that this never happens to any business. We wish that this is never an issue that occurs. Unfortunately, it occurs more often. If if you're in business, chances are this has happened to you in some, you know, form or fashion. That's just the way that it is,
0: unfortunately. sure. And I don't think it does anybody any service to to think to sit out there and, and think, well, you know, that's fine, but it, it'll again, it'll never happen to me, or my guys would never do that, or I'm sure I could handle that when the, when it arises, because you know, you never plan for anything like this to happen. You never you never sure. put it on your calendar. You know, in in, in two months, Steve and Jim are going to try and set out on their own and start their own shop. And I've gotten uh, you know emails and, and calls from folks kind of on both sides of the coin that say, so and so lit out on his own and took these clients, or. In a similar vein, I got an email from a guy uh, who said, you know, I've been, I have been—I work as an ops manager for a, a, a larger company, and I run my own gig on the side, and I, you know, I don't know what to do. Uh, I kind of started this as a, a little side gig, and it's grown, and I, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you've you got to pick one. You can't choose both. And uh, to if, if there's folks out there who listen and, and, and want to set out on their own, go for it, but do it the right way. You can't run a, Run one shop and, and work for another guy, especially if those folks are competing with each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree, and I'm very um, anti-moonlighting. You know, yeah. we, we definitely, I mean, we had that as a very strict, enforceable action in our business that, that I, and, and that only comes, um, Chuck, from way back in the very beginning of my business. This was, you know, I've been out of the contracting business for six years. I can't believe that. It's been six years. Um, but this was probably the better part of 15 or 20 years ago. I had an employee of mine who, who, who had a fairly high position in the company go out and start a company that was very similar to the name of my company, and he was mm. moonlighting on the weekends, on purpose, deliberate. Um, people would call into our office, and he would... He would go out and estimate jobs as though he was a representative of our company. The clients thought that they were doing business with us all along because he had a very similar business name. Mm. Um, full proprietorship, not a corporation, so it wasn't registered with the state, so none of those flags would have gone off. And the only way that I found out about it was that he was out um, actually with the birth of a child. So his wife was having a child, and he was out for a week. And one of those clients called our office and asked for him. And, um, and they said that they had a problem with some drain tile that he had installed. And we looked him up on our system. And that client was nowhere to be found. So our office people sent that call in to me. And I got on the phone with this guy. And he said, yeah, you came out and you did $2,000 worth of drain tile. I go, well, but you're not in our system. Are you sure that you have our company name right? And he kept referring to this employee by name. And boom, he was found out. I actually went out to that client's house. He showed me copies of invoices. He showed me a copy of a canceled check. It was hand endorsed on the back. It was not. In, it was not deposited into our bank account. So I'm Ooh. very sensitive to the element of moonlight because that was just flat out fraud. And yeah, uh, and 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 you know, we we caught him red handed, and uh, mm-hmm. he was immediately. You know, it felt horrible because he comes back from, from you know basically taking maternity leave with his wife and. Sure. And, hey, I I literally I, I called my attorney while he was out, and I and I sent him all the evidence. I mean, a, a copy of a copy of a canceled check written out to a company that was very similar to mine. It was hand endorsed that went into a bank that was not our bank or our bank account. And so um, I literally this was the time. This okay, it was so long ago, Chuck. The telephones were installed in vehicles. You didn't have the anti- oh wow. Long. Yeah, this was a long time ago, right? So I literally That's two thousand
0: dollars in real money,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I had like an installed with a handset and everything. I picked it up. You know, hello, Houston. nice. Uh, and 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 so what happened was, is my attorney said, um, "Well, I need to talk to him." And I go, "Well, how are we how are we going to get him to talk to you?" And so what we did was, is I called my attorney on that little installed speakerphone cell phone thing, and uh, went to a job site and said to this employee who was soon going to be a former employee, I go, hey, I need you to come to my truck, we need to have a conversation. And then when we got in the truck, my attorney started talking to the guy. You know, and basically said, we have the evidence, Um, this is what, and I mean, the guy literally, his head went down and just stared at the floorboard of my truck. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he was caught, you know, Ray Han, he was terminated immediately, and we, we took the high ground at that point and we because we didn't want to ruin the guy's life because we actually could have, you know, I mean, sent him to jail, quite frankly, because he, he had committed, you know, clearly a felony, um, and, uh, and we had the evidence to do so, but we did not do that. We basically had him sign an agreement that he would never work in the industry again, he would never compete against us, which he did, and he didn't. Um, you know, so so you know that's the extreme part of it is, is that you know something like that can happen. So I do not like moonlighting at all, and I actually encourage clients to not allow moonlighting except in very rare, controlled, open environments, and, and that's that it doesn't happen very often. I think mean, it just it, it it breeds an opportunity for this situation to become that severe. It was severe. I mean, we we figured out that he probably had stolen fifty to seventy five thousand dollars worth of work from our company. Through, through that method. Right. Man, man. Yeah,
0: that's tough. That's tough cuz it's such an easy thing for guys to get into. But I think, you know, kind of what we talked about at the beginning, you know, if you can if you can build that as hard, as difficult as it can be to get to that point sometimes, you know, getting to that point where your customers have have that connection with your company now with the guy running the job and thinking about that from the beginning, thinking that about that from the outset as as difficult as it may be. That's tough.
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, so, so there's all kinds of different forms or fashion that this filtering of clients can, can look. And the other, thing, the other thing that I'll say is, is that in all of those instances, in every single one of those instances, um, I just firmly believe that employers and managers, depending on how big your company is, they just have to be paying attention to their employees. You know they need to be paying attention to employees you know kind of missing during the work day if they're moonlighting or um, you know I, I heard of a situation where where uh, an employee was was literally like going out with employees on the weekend and created a social relationship with uh, you know, between a client and an employee and uh, and you know was going out you know to, to, to dinner and to you know into pubs and all that kind of stuff you know and that's probably mm. inappropriate too. Um, right you know, because that just that just opens up that opportunity, you know, for those things to happen. And and you know, business owners just need to pay attention. They don't need to become obsessed with it, but they need to just pay attention to the actions of their employees so that there might be things that they will notice that kind of point in a potential direction of the employees thinking about leaving or, or, or not. So mm.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jason, thanks so much for,
1: for, for talking about this today. I think this is really interesting. And uh and yeah, helpful. absolutely Yeah, no, my pleasure. As always, I enjoy talking about these things because I believe that it's things like this, you know, as we've talked about before, part of the reason that we're talking on a regular basis and putting these recordings, you know, up on our websites for people to listen to is, is that, you know, these are the things that business owners are faced with and some business owners are just unwilling to talk about. They're kind of the taboo things. Um, you know that, that that have happened in most organizations but business owners are embarrassed to talk about or don 't want to talk about so i 'm happy to always talk about these topics and you know I might even throw it out there that maybe there's a topic that somebody's out there you know i don 't know if we want to and I know we're still recording, but maybe we throw something out there to readers and say, hey, what's that topic that you wish you could talk about that you couldn't? And there might be some case studies that I have, you know, in my little case study figurative briefcase that, you know, that could help somebody through that problem. So maybe maybe we can help some of the people that are listening to this um, out by addressing a specific concern or thought that they might have.
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that would be that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be sure to mention that when we put this out. up on the up on the side, and then out, you know, obviously when when it's up on Twitter and Facebook and everything, people can certainly send those messages in, and, and we'll we'll take a look at them because I think I think there's a lot of those out there. I mean, I I, I don't think there's any shortage of topics like this that we could continue to to discuss. So cool. Yeah, you well, bet, thanks, man. Awesome, Chuck. Yeah, you're very welcome. Have an awesome week. You too, man.